0: Well...
1: Welcome to the world of the western esoteric tradition.
2: listeners, this is episode four of Thoughts Hermes podcast, brought to you as of June the 1st, 2017. I am your host, my name is Rudolf, and it is a pleasure to have you with us today again. Well, if this is your first time on Thoughts Hermes, I'm very glad to welcome you. But if you are a returning listener or maybe even a subscriber, many thanks for your fidelity and I hope you will be as pleased today as in the previous episodes. Our podcast has, of course, also its own website. You can find us at www.thothermes.com. That is www.tho.theremes.com. The website provides all links to the new and previous episodes, show notes, all the news and reviews from this and all other episodes. And also, we present, always during three episodes, the work of a visual artist whose art or life or both have strong links to the esoteric, occult or paranormal worlds. As I said, this is episode four, so with the launch of today's episode, we present a new artist to you, Stuart Littlejohn. You will hear a bit more about him and his work after our main interview in the news section. The podcast itself is not only available on our website, but also on iTunes, Android, Spreaker, Blueberry and Stitcher. So the choice is yours. No excuse. My interview partner today is one of the most important representatives of the left-hand path, Swedish author, academic, and occultist Thomas Karlsson. I am very excited to be able to present this interview to you today, and I'm sure you will enjoy. But before we go there, though, we have some other things to do. And now, some feedback. Last time I have asked you to help me by sharing your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, and also criticism with me. This podcast is still very new. In spite of my mature age, I'm still young in podcasting, and your opinions and advice also help me. And of course... I want this place, be it the website or the podcast, be as interactive as possible. Some of you have responded to my request, thank you all. I am still looking forward to getting more of that, so please go onto the site once you have listened to us today, drop me a line, let me know what you liked, what you disliked and what your ideas for future subjects Content, etc., would be. Thanks for all the encouraging notes you gave me. That's really very kind of you. I appreciate a lot. Out of the feedback I got for the last episode, I want to talk to you about a few technical issues that listeners had or found out about. There were a few points with the sound quality that some of you talked to me and I'm very grateful for that. When you edit your own recordings, you often get so used to what you hear that you overhear a few things. I will try to work on that, that's not always easy, because you also depend on the quality of a remote internet connection, some ambient sound you have no control on, etc. This week you will have the pleasure to hear church bells while I was talking to Thomas. They were on my end, windows closed, but hey, you're not going to stop such an interesting talk with Thomas for the sake of a few bells. And who knows what their signification education was. Also, the sound quality of the short interview in the news section is maybe not what I would prefer, but the Skype connection was rather mediocre that day and I did not want to deprive you of that little talk either. So, to cut the long story short, I'm quite a sound fan myself. I try to improve every time. I'm very grateful for your comments and tips as well. Other technical issues had to do with the website. My contact form did not seem to work there at some point, And you guys who let me know helped to find a conflict caused by a plugin. It sorted out, thanks a lot. There were other minor issues on the site, which sometimes as the designer and editor you cannot even see, because you use a special type of browser and others do not etc. and where your hints are extremely helpful. I was able to solve all little issues there rather quickly, learned an awful lot and hope that it will continue like that. Thanks to those guys as well. Enough technology now. Let me just remind you how you can back to me. On the website there is a contact form, but you can also leave me a voicemail through Speakpipe from there. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter of course, or you can send me email at info at Now, some have told me that I should clarify the spelling of Thoth Hermes and of the web link. I shall happily do so once again now and here. Thoth Hermes, as a web link, is spelled T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. So, only one H in the middle. I hope that helps. Before we go to the interview, I would like to play to you our first piece of music. The pieces of this episode were chosen by our interview guest, Thomas Karlsson. As many of you probably know, he is not only a fan of heavy metal, but also takes actively part in it. The band we present to you today is called... Serpent Noir, Black Snake. They are from Greece. Uh, Well, I will tell you later. So, brace for black metal in this episode and enjoy the first number they play for you. Its title comes in handy for what is to follow The Veritable Red Dragon. Serpon Noir, playing the veritable Red Dragon for you. Here comes the interview. Red Dragon, in French, Dragon Rouge, is also the name of the esoteric left-hand path order, which has been founded by today's interview partner, Thomas Carlson. Thomas is a university teacher at Stockholm University in Sweden, where he reads Western esotericism. He is also fellow researcher at Yale University in the United States. Among occultists he is very well known for his books, especially for Kabbalah, Klifoth and Goetic magic, which has become a classic in its genre as well as it is Uthark, Nightside of the runes in that field. Thomas is also involved in art projects and as lyric writer for music bands. Also, he is the director of the Esoteric Crossroads Conferences in Capri, Italy. Let's go right away into the interview. As usual... We will have a music break in the middle after about 25 minutes. And now we hear our guest talk about his childhood and youth, about founding Dragon Rouge and explaining to us what the left-hand path really is. I would like to welcome on this podcast, on this edition of Thought Hermes, Thomas Karlsson, who is in Sweden at the moment in his home uh, country. Very warm welcome to you, Thomas. Thank you for agreeing to this interview today.
3: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to uh, have this conversation uh, with you and uh, all the listeners to this podcast.
2: Thank you. I'm sure they will all be very excited to have you. You are quite a figure in the esoteric and occult worlds. My first question that I would like to ask you, could you give us a bit of your personal background? How did it happen that you came into the esoteric and occult worlds what drew you there how do you define your background there
3: there's a lot of aspects and it's depending on perspectives if i start with uh, my personal background in more um, ordinary life so to speak i grew up with a very nice uh, family my childhood was uh, basically uh, very happy. Um, My father is dead. I I miss him very much. He died uh, five years ago and uh, he was always uh, a strong supporter of everything I did. He was, uh, however, a hardcore atheist. He thought that all kinds of religion uh, was basically Something very um, stupid and for non-educated people. He was programmer uh, at the international computer uh, company, IBM, and worked with education. Mm -hmm. My mother, on the other hand, uh, was uh, almost equally, uh, she's alive, and uh, she's also um, always been a strong supporter, maybe not of uh, Dragon Rouge, but uh, of me as a person. Uh, She was um, equally hardcore Christian as my father uh, was a hardcore atheist. have a very happy marriage. And uh, it made it possible for a constructive uh, discussion about uh, life, existence, God, uh, and so on. In, in that way, I grew up in a, even to be Sweden, which is uh, one of the most secular countries in the world, uh, in a, so to speak, extremely secular family with two opposite sides of uh, looking at the world uh, one very religious perspective from my mother and a very anti religious perspective from my father. Hmm. So uh, uh, from that sociological uh, point of view, uh, it became quite natural for me uh, to, to uh, try to find uh, something that maybe could be a third way between uh, science uh, and uh, religion, and uh, naturally, esotericism uh, is uh, a stream of thought, a school of thought that is somewhere between or above uh, the opposition between uh, materialism and and uh, religion.
1: Yeah.
3: Then. We can turn to uh, going from a sociological uh, uh, perspective of, of uh, how I came into uh, to the um, esotericism. Already as a very small child, uh, I had the experience of leaving my physical body. It was often in dreams. I was sleeping and uh, I, I left the physical body and uh, moved around in the house. And sometimes it scared me. Uh, sometimes uh, it made me very curious. And I didn't find it strange at all. I was too small, actually, uh, to consider it uh, unnatural or or, uh, strange. It was just uh, one experience among others that uh, you have as a small child. Mm -hmm. Later in life, when I was uh, around uh, 12, uh, I made the schoolwork uh, about the different kind of, of religions uh, uh, when I was in, in, um, in school as 12. And I came across a book about the supernatural phenomenon. And in that book, I read about astral projection And realized, but wow, what I've experienced and and, uh, thought of as completely natural is uh, considered as something uh, supernatural or uh, weird (laughs) and strange from the perspective of the common world. And that made me, of course, very curious to investigate what is this so it uh, started almost a an obsession strong interest in both practicing and studying uh, every kind of occultism and uh, spirituality that I can, could find in, in uh, these kinds of books. I went to libraries in, in Stockholm. Sometimes uh, I actually didn't go to class and my teachers were quite angry about that. Uh, and instead I went to libraries uh, libraries in, in Stockholm to, to find books about the occult and uh, visited the Occult book stores to, to learn more about this. And started to practice more or less uh, immediately, with uh, quite good and strong uh, results. Uh, and more or less all kinds of uh, arts that uh, was considered supernatural or or occult. So that you can say is the first sociological uh, explanation of why I maybe it was natural for me to, to uh, enter this path. And other uh, perspective is that it seems like I had a very natural talent uh, for for, uh, this kind of of, uh, esotericism.
2: That's fascinating. I find especially fascinating when you say that your parents had very different approaches towards spirituality, if one can put it like that is, (laughs) and that out of that tension grew something. And I think it also made you think in a particular way, which probably on the intellectual side led you towards esotericism, occultism, and maybe even the left-hand pass, because it's a... Well, that is my next question, Thomas. Um, You are, I would say, one of the big and well-known representatives of what is called the left-hand path. And I'm very curious to hear from you how you would define what it actually means and is, because nowadays we hear so many different, uh, sometimes opposite definitions. And it would be very good to hear from you how you would define or how you would design what the left-hand path is?
3: In many years, I would say for the most part of my adult life, I have um, uh, strongly avoided uh, to define what I am doing uh, because I have felt like definitions in some way uh, uh, create, um, it's become too narrow, Uh, I feel, some height. How, some way captured I define what I'm doing because I like to explore more or less everything I'm interested in uh, more or less uh, everything that we can find in, in, in human existence no matter if it's biology or technology or uh, the liberal arts etc. But in the last years uh, with constructive um, dialogue with um, representatives of of, uh, left-hand path currents and I've also seen that that my work that I've been doing now for 30 years uh, have inspired a lot of people worldwide and I felt that maybe it is a point to, to uh, have um, some kinds of definitions to see if we can agree upon that uh, there is a point to keep the concept of the left-hand path, or if we uh, should leave it or other- <laughs> words or concepts but I think the left hand path is, is very useful and it has been uh, established uh, co- concept and uh, I will as a consequence consequently, uh, share with you and, and uh, our dear listener uh, my idea of seven points mm-hmm. uh, that is uh, common uh, or maybe concept that all kinds of left hand path Yeah. Maybe should have.
2: Uh, yeah, with uh, pleasure. That sounds very good.
3: <laughs> so we start with one. I often get the question: left hand path. Okay, left, left. That means it, it probably is a uh, right hand path. And the first reaction, especially in the esoteric uh, milieu, is: uh, but, but uh, we should uh, be like Buddha and uh, and choose the middle path. It is. Uh, make more sense to be balanced, Uh, to to, uh, not not, uh, uh, just go to the left or or just go to the right. And I completely agree with that. But I would say that the left-hand part offers and gives us a method. So I call this uh, methodological dualism. It means that this dualism is not necessarily essential, rather it's more at least uh, from the draconian current of Dragon Rouge and Order the Draconis that I represent,
1: Mm -hmm.
3: rather that in the end... We represent a kind of a monism or holism or whatever you would like to call it. Yeah. But I used to compare it uh, with a human standing balanced with uh, his or her two uh, feet, uh, with, the, with the feet on the ground. And if you're standing there balanced, it's good, but you don't move. You must take one uh, foot ahead to start to walk. Yeah. You can either start with the left or the right. Uh, The reason why in this case, and what differs from the left-hand path and the right-hand path is that the left is not only the left side. (laughs) Otherwise, what I try to say is that the middle path in many ways means that you remain and stay where you are. You must uh, have a dynamic dualism. Uh, a methodological dualism to create uh, uh, power, energy, movement.
2: Could one call it a dialectical dualism as well?
3: Uh, Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. If we uh, we use a more intellectual perspective on, on this, definitely. But the left is not only considered with the left side, it's also considered with what is behind us. The right side has in cultural history, in the history of religion, been associated with the known, with, with the, um, what's, so to speak, already enlightened. Yeah. Uh, in that way, it is, uh, the right is also associated with what's in front of us. Yeah. And that, from a symbolical and, and esoteric point of view, means that the left is what is behind us. And what is behind us is the real unknown. It's, so to speak, the other side and the dark side. So the left-hand path is about creating a constructive dualism to generate power and energy for movement, spiritual movement, to move forward, to explore the wilderness and the great unknown, but also with the wish... Of studying what is behind our back, so to speak, what is what we don't see. So the left hand pass, uh, so to speak, turn around to view what is there in the darkness, in the shadow, in, in the backside mm-hmm. uh, of ourself and our existence. So t- to summarize point one, The left-hand part, I would say, is a method to create and generate energy and power to move and to ascend spiritually. But in the end, of course, the point is to have a balance between the opposites and reach something that is beyond male and female, uh, light and dark, left and right, and so on. So it's not... A coincidence for example uh, that, that Dragon Rouge use the symbol of the dragon because if you look at the Chinese uh, tradition the very symbol of Tao that's beyond Yin and Yang, the mm. opposite is symbolized by the dragon. Right. So now we come to the second concept I think is yeah, central for, for all kind of left and part and this one is maybe the most obvious of all. It's the idea of the left. The left has, in in cultural and uh, spiritual and and religious history of mankind, always been associated with the other. This is a concept that has been a little bit overused in academic circles, but but, um, from an esoteric point of view, uh, you can see that uh, the right is associated with also what is right, what is correct, what's normal. So the left uh, is what is the divergent, it's the real esoteric aspect. It is also an idea combined with, with uh, elevating uh, what's um, been associated with the other. For example, uh, Simone de Beauvoir writes in her famous book about the other sex that, that uh, the left hand path very often elevate the feminine
1: mm-hmm.
3: and the dark. Instead of the light, the underground instead of heavens, inferno, the moon, the expelled, the fallen. Mm -hmm. It is uh, what is uh, the abnormal, but also the unique, uh, the exclusive, uh, what is uh, truly hidden and uh, beyond uh,
2: what is common. All that is different, so to speak.
3: Yes. So, point three, I would say, is especially important for uh, the draconian current, as I represent uh, in Dragon Ocean or the draconis. The third uh, point is emphasizing the low as the latent power station for reaching the high. Mm-hmm. Because in some, I would say, a little bit more naive versions of Left Hand Path, it's become too much of a uh, romanticism just about what's evil and, and black and uh, so on. But we are striving in the end for what is good, and we are striving for illumination. Yes. But like Dante in the Divine Comedy, which could be uh, read as a manual for a spiritual seeker or on the quest and the the initiatory path, you have no other choice than entering Inferno and meet uh, Lucifer himself in the core of the underworld before you can uh, become uh, uh, illuminated, go up on the mountain of the purgatory and later uh, enter into the heaven and like Dante meet Beatrice in the, the, in the uh, seventh uh, heaven.
2: heaven. Is that comparable to what other traditions call the abyss?
3: No. Not at, at least uh, from uh, the point of, of Dragomir. So I represent, okay. and I would say that abuse is more in, the, in many traditions, as we know in the mm-hmm. Western theism a typical uh, right-hand path concept. Absolutely, yeah. It's an, 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 like a final um, test or challenge right. before you, you enter um, divine realms. Yeah. While on the left-hand path, I would say, and especially in the draconian tradition, you're more like Dante actually start with entering uh, the dark forest and open up the gates uh, uh, to hell and enter into inferno. So that's why, for example, in some uh, Kabbalistic tradition on the right-hand path, uh, you actually can meet the so-called cliffotic side or or the dark side uh, when reaching the abyss above when you go up uh, to the last divine uh, triad. While in the system of Dragon Rouge, and probably quite characteristic for genuine left hand path, you actually enter the dark side, uh, the cave of Lilith, uh, so to speak, uh, as the first thing you do on your initiatory journey. A little bit like Dante, you don't start with trying to climb heaven and then suddenly fall into hell. You start uh, opening the gates of hell. But not for the reason that that, that uh, you are so fond of of uh, hell in itself. <laughs> then there is of course another um, alchemical uh, aspect of of this. It's that that opposites often change roles, so to speak. The hidden stone mentioned in many of the old uh, alchemical manuscripts are considered to be something very common, very low. We know about it, it it is around us, it's never told what it is, but it is the matter that will become the spiritual gold. Mm -hmm. So in alchemy, the stone is the spirit, the low is the high, the dragon is God, and God the dragon that's even in the Bible, in the book of Job, when, when God uh, himself compare himself and his power with, with comparing him with, with the Leviathan.
2: Indeed, yes.
3: and uh, not least especially from the draconian path, and this is uh, connected to the kundalini force that we know from the tantric traditions that, that in the lowest of the chakra levels it's there we find the kundalini and the force that will help us to get the power to, to reach up to, to uh, illumination and through Wisdom. This is also something uh, we find in the Nordic tradition um, and the runic tradition. Odin himself must hang in uh, the world tree for nine. Nights. He must sacrifice himself and enter into uh, uh, the world of the dead, into the, the world of hell, uh, to be eliminated of the secret of the runes. And in Christian mysticism, this is the esoteric interpretation of uh, when Christ becomes crucified, die enter into uh, the world of the dead and the underworld and hell and and, uh, down there in the utmost darkness uh, become reborn as a divine being, become a god and also in Christian mysticism and in Christianity uh, give the keys for humans to get eternal life. Mm -hmm. So the third aspect of my definitions of the left-hand path is the concept of of the underworld, the low as the power station for reaching ascension and being able to, to climb the ladder and reach illumination. Four concepts left. I prefer the concept here goes back to the classical uh, mystery cults uh, of the Roman and Greek traditions, Mm -hmm. the the concept of uh, apotheosis. Uh, It's more uh, in left and path literature and and, uh, discussions today uh, known as self-deification, making yourself divine or a god. Mm But here, I think we have a point where a lot of different uh, left and past schools or, or uh, organizations or individuals have different opinion of, of what this means. Some mean that uh, we must just realize that we are, are the gods, as we are, that mm. we don't need any religion. We are the gods. We are the one who invent gods. And, and we must just realize that uh, there are no gods um, beyond us or beyond uh, humans. While other approaches mean that there can actually be spiritual beings and uh, at least something uh, far above the ordinary human existence. And I would say that the the tradition and current I represent would rather say that the divine uh, to become a god is something that is very, very, very far from where we are today. It is something that is very hard to achieve. Maybe no one can honestly claim to have reached that goal. And if someone has reached that goal, it would not be anyone who go out there and and say, I am a god.
2: It in a strange way sounds still blasphemic, even in our secular world, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it does really. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it is uh, an important aspect of left-hand path, uh, not only to obey God or gods, but rather have um, God or gods as role models to become a god yourself. Mm-hmm. But that at least, from my perspective, as ordinary human being, you can actually really not know what the concept of God actually denotes. We don't know because it's so beyond what's possible for oral or written or or,
2: uh, ordinary
3: explanations.
2: Yes. Yes, sure. I was really fascinated and very happy how Thomas Carlson would give us such a clear and thorough description of what the left-hand path is. As you heard, there are seven points which define it for Thomas, so we have still three more to go. But now we take that short break and listen again to another piece of music chosen by Thomas and played for us by Serpon Noir. This time it is a bit softer than before. The title of that piece is Ayahuasca, so relax and sink in. Ayahuasca by Serpon Noir. And now back to Thomas Carlson. He will continue from point five of his seven points explaining the left-hand path. And then we will also talk about other important topics of the esoteric and occult worlds.
3: We come to point five. Yes. And I have argued in some forum that what, for example, Dragon Rouge and uh, Order Draconis uh, work with is not so much uh, witchcraft, uh, rather uh, going back to a uh, uh, German and Swedish word hex. Mm-hmm. So that has quite uh, different uh, connotations, which goes back, a little bit to the word wise.
2: Yes. So it
3: was a, uh, a wise person, uh, quite often a wise woman, knowing about herbs, medicine, uh, and
2: childbirth.
3: Childbirth, exactly, mm-hmm. and so on. But maybe not with so much initiatory uh, uh, connotations. While the hex is someone who is uh, sitting um, uh, on the hedge... On, on uh, between uh, the known and the unknown, mm-hmm. between uh, the world of of uh, mankind and the world of uh, the unknown wilderness, uh, the endless forests, uh, uh, the dark oceans. So uh, it's uh, it's a person really riding with the broom uh, between the common world and and uh, the other side. Mm-hmm. In the the light, uh, ordinary world, and uh, the dark world of the unknown and of the true mysteries. That's why um, the fifth point, I would uh, say, it's the sacredness of periphery, of of, uh, what's outside uh, and beyond. The borders. It's why uh, the concept of Sitarara in the Kabbalah, for example, the other side, is uh, very important in in, uh, the Draconian current, as as, at least I am am a representative of. And in uh, the Nordic mythology, uh, the focus not only on the world of the gods, but also uh, the, the mysteries and the world of, of the giants in the really far lands beyond both the world of the gods and the world of, of men. Of the
2: living, yeah. hmm.
3: Then we come to uh, point number six. And this is... Uh, It may be a point that that not least uh, some people in the left-hand part milieu maybe misinterpret sometimes.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, It's a concept of antinomianism, to use uh, the title and song of a great band, Judas Priest, Breaking the Law.
1: Yes.
3: (laughs) It's what it actually means. But it's not about breaking the law in this uh, ordinary criminal sense or the the opposite. It must have a spiritual and philosophical and especially existential meaning. It means that you must uh, go beyond uh, your own uh, determined path. You must have uh, the courage to, to leave the path that's already there ahead of you and try to to enter into sidetracks into the forest to find new paths and so to speak, uh, breaking the norm, going against the grain and finding new, new tracks. It's a way of confronting your own death. And uh, your own mortality. It's a way to face your non existence, not in a suicidal way, uh, get away from your own existence, but to make your existence to become wider, to grow, to find new space instead of just remaining where you are and follow up, uh, the track that maybe other people have. have. Uh, put you upon.
2: So again, it's a question of developing and movement, right?
3: Exactly. And finding new paths and in face, your own non existence, which is. Uh, both uh, frightening, it's your own death, your shadow, your night side, but also the space where you can grow as a mm-hmm. human being and, and existence and uh, uh, the space uh, where you have the possibility to become a god yes. or, or um, illuminated in the
2: real uh, meaning of that mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. I also think that this antinominalism is one of the most often misinterpreted concepts of the left-hand path.
3: I agree completely, because it could be an excuse for just doing stupid things, either to yourself or to other people or to society. Yeah. I would rather say that most people, now I will sound a little bit elitistic, but most people in society just follow what okay, mm. and and uh, don't think or reflect upon upon their own choices or the consequences of their decisions. Antinomianism, in in the the highest sense, is about... To create actually a higher moral through breaking free from so simple, you know, social morality that's defined by by the majority. We know that the majority could agree upon terrible things and an adept of the left-hand path must have the courage to go against the majority and follow higher ethics Mm -hmm. What is just what what your neighbor and and
2: society oh, the society get. yeah yeah mm-hmm.
3: so mm-hmm. in that one way in the draconian tradition this is a concept quite close to uh, ethical and moral an idealism which means that you can stand there alone but still maybe you do the the good and the right yeah basically that yes. Now we're coming to the final point. Yes. (laughs) This is something that, for example, uh, Sina and Nicolas Schreck in their, uh, I would say, masterpiece, Demon of the Flesh, um, emphasize in in a brilliant way. And I uh, met them in Berlin some years ago with a very constructive discussion. We agree upon that the uh, the seventh concept is very central uh, for, for Left and Path. It's elevating Sophia. Or the female aspect uh, of, of uh, the mysteries. Sophia, uh, as uh, in its original meaning, uh, uh, knowledge. Sophia's Lilith, uh, the serpent uh, in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. uh, seen as uh, some one uh, that is an ally to the adept. So, uh, from that perspective, eating from the fruit, the, the fruits of knowledge that the serpent Offer man uh, was not uh, a bad choice. It put us out on a very hard journey called life. <laughs> it uh, made us reaching the possibility for, as the serpent say, getting knowledge and eternal life. So Elevating Sophia, uh, this is something even Plato the old old Greek philosopher highlights, is that that wisdom is not just something intellectual. Wisdom is actually also a a sensual experience. It's uh, almost physical and and you must learn with your body as well as your soul and your mind and your intellect to to reach true uh, illumination. Mm -hmm. Sophia in the Kabbalah is the same as uh, messiah the savior mm-hmm. so in dragon rouge we talk about the serpent and the savior as uh, the two interacting maybe the same principle mm-hmm. and that will lead us to to sophia to wisdom and knowledge and this is also uh, why the left-hand path have this Faustian and Promethean uh, nature, that we like uh, Faust uh, turn to Mephistopheles for knowledge. That's why we uh, like Prometheus uh, steal fires from the gods, from uh, the, the tree of knowledge, because we have this urge for wisdom, for for life. And uh, the seventh point is elevating dark goddesses such as uh, Lilith, Kali, Hale, and so on. And I would say from from, uh, the legend in Genesis in the the Bible, from the left-and-path perspective, which is very opposite to the the common interpretation but from the left and path and draconian perspective man did the right thing Mm. when they took this fruit that the serpent offered and and uh, ate from from the tree of of knowledge and started this journey and, in the end, if we are successful on our initiatory journey, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life will once again be conjoined.
2: Again, yeah. Would this also be a Luciferian aspect, or would you want to distinguish it from a Luciferian aspect?
3: Uh, it's a completely Luciferian. Yeah. It's also very interesting that if you read the Bible the attributes associated with Christ uh, is the same attributes associated with Lucifer. So uh, Christ, Messiah, and Lucifer seems to be, uh, this is really blasphemic, but the same.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There is also in the Talmud, if I'm not completely wrong now, the saying that Lilith, when she had to go away from paradise, so to speak, she then had many children with one of the fallen angels who possibly could have been what we call Lucifer.
3: Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's a, a little bit in different tradition. of Which of the demons she had children with? But it doesn't yeah. matter. It was some of the, the main demons, and the, the legend of Lilith in, in Jewish mysticism is extremely interesting and we can learn a lot from
2: very fascinating absolutely absolutely well thank you for this thorough definition this is this is great i mean this i think our listeners will have to listen 3 or 4 times just to get <laughs> the whole the whole meaning in of that thank you so much the, which leads me to another question which is Just an aside, but it seems to me that you are one of the very few exponents of the esoteric tradition, be it left, right, or whatever those labels mean, who has also an academic background, who has also the capacity and the possibility to teach esotericism in university, if I'm not wrong. Do you think there is more to come in the future? In universities. Where do you see this tendency go? Do you think there there is a future for academic teaching on occult subjects or is this going to stay a very big exception?
3: I was one of the first, at least in Sweden, that uh, did this kind of research and in the beginning uh, there was a, a lot of opposition against me from some uh, colleagues. But, oh, sure, uh, yeah. Uh, the professors, I must really say, they stood by my side uh, completely. They said that, that as long as what Thomas writes is in line with um, academic principles, he can do whatever he likes uh, outside academia. And to me, it's also important because I'm not uh, teaching at universities or colleges to teach my interpretation of esotericism. Mm-hmm. To me, I act uh, then uh, as an historian, maybe putting some uh, anthropological and sociological uh, aspects into it, but but especially as a historian of religion. Yes. So I don't teach esotericism uh, uh, as an academic. I teach about uh, the history of uh, esotericism. Yes. So when people, which it has happened, start to ask me um, more like esoteric uh, questions, students uh, want to know. Uh, but from an esoteric perspective, I tell them uh, that. They- Sorry, but that's outside what's my duty and and, uh, my role now uh, at the academia. If you are interested in that, you're welcome to to, uh, talk about this uh, when I'm in the Dragon Rouge temple or or there. And that's very important because uh, it gives also me freedom in both uh, ways. Act uh, as a correct scholar an academic and not trying to make this merge uh, in a far-fetched way. And uh, as an occultist, I can on the other hand have the freedom to don't mind the academic history of, of uh, esotericism. Yeah. So, so both because I think it, it's uh, it my duty and my role as an academic to work according to, to the um, academic uh, principles, how a, a good academic work it should yeah. be. And um, when I'm in the role of, of an occultist, I can throw myself completely out in the wild forest and, and uh, explore the mysteries without taking minding what was written in this uh, academic thesis.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if I understand you well, both sides kind of protect each other they They give you more freedom on either side because you have the other side
1: yeah
3: and and of course, it's no coincidence that that I teach esotericism because it's also so my personal path, so yeah. it's more the approach that differs uh, but, but the topic, so to speak, are quite closely related
2: yeah uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You have mentioned in this description of the left-hand path, of course, several times Dragon Rouge. Now, if, please correct me if I say something wrong, you were born in 1972, and what I read on the internet, Dragon Rouge, you already founded in 1989, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's right. So, at a very early stage of your life. Um, So... Could you tell us a bit more about A, how you would say somebody who doesn't know yet what Dragon Rouge exactly is what it represents, we have partly I think already heard, but maybe you want to expand on that a bit as well and how it came into being and what it is today, where it stands today
1: The
3: simple uh, answer to that quest- question is that uh, Dragon Rouge is a magical and uh, occult uh, order mm-hmm uh, with a focus on left-hand path and the draconian tradition. The more complicated uh, answer is that I don't know myself exactly what Dragon Rouge is. And I want it to be a little bit like that because I founded it in a very early... Uh, I was very young. It was in an early phase of my life, and it's an ongoing process. It's uh, like the... Like a serpent that from time to time changes skin. One professor that studied uh, dragoruș uh, asked me, "But but Thomas, what exactly uh, is dragoruș?" And uh, I said that I don't really know myself. Maybe we could call it uh, a, a multidimensional uh, art project with a lot of uh, contributors and artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, the simple answer is it's a, a magical and occult order with an initiatory is a system uh, that works with the left-hand path and especially the draconian t- tradition
2: yes and today you have expanded beyond Sweden I believe and uh, where does it exist <laughs> Do you want to tell us how many people are members of that order or is that something you don't want to speak about maybe? Uh, honest
3: answer to that question is that I'm not 100% sure myself because I luckily <laughs> don't run the administration. Right. Uh, but but uh, it's between uh, yeah 150 and 300 and it depends on we have had different kind of policies on when uh, a membership uh, m- membership expires. Right. So um, uh, if, if we, for example, have, a, have a, uh, been more generous uh, so that people could remain in the order for one and a half year without their renewal membership, uh, we often go up to around 300 members. Yeah. If we are really hardcore, it could go down to like 150. And then we have a lot of people that in many ways are members but maybe simply forget to pay the membership. And then we have on the other side people who support us, but uh, because they like uh, the fact that there is something like Dragon Roche, but uh, are not uh, active in the initiatory process. But I would say very uh, approximately uh, 200.
2: Right. And not just in Sweden, I think, right?
3: Uh, no, for sure. Uh, we have most members uh, these days outside Sweden.
2: Right. You were just saying about the artists so that you're all artists in that uh, order and of course you mean it in a very different way from what I'm taking up now. Um, you are also a musician and uh, you have a, a side career, if I may say that, uh, next to your academic and to your occultist career, which is in music. Do you want to say us a few words about that? To me, um. And I think
3: too, maybe esotericism, and occultism in general, um, always um, been an awareness that that words can't explain everything. Uh, and um, maybe music and and the pictures uh, sometimes can explain more than what can be written. Mm. Uh, so I felt uh, the, the need to express uh, something that I've maybe been born with. Uh, and, and a task that's followed me for, for all my uh, life I felt the need to, to express it in, in as many ways uh, that's possible for myself and this goes back to the tradition of uh, magical seals uh, that, that uh, the seals sometimes are more direct uh, ways to communicate with spirits uh, or the other side than for example mm-hmm. uh, oral uh, invocations <laughs> that music has always been considered to be a, a kind of a manifestation. of uh, of the other side or the mysteries this is something we find in in all traditions, the Indian tradition in Chinese tradition, in African traditions and not least in in the European Christian tradition Mm -hmm. with the music of Bach uh, that that reflects uh, the the platonic, non-physical realms of of reality so to me, all kind of art is is, uh, necessary tools um, t- to, to work w- with other kinds of realities. Then mm-hmm. I must say, maybe I'm not a musician. Uh, I wish I would be, but, uh, but uh, there are a lot of people that in that case are much more uh, talented. I often more worked uh, with, with uh, helping with concepts, seals, uh, lyrics, uh, sometimes uh, w- with my own voice in, in musical projects.
2: Yeah, well, but our you- listeners uh, will hear after the interview a piece of music uh, by the same band that already played in the middle of the interview, but this time they will be able to hear not only your words, but your voice as well in the performance of that song.
3: That makes me happy. It's a song that, that uh, was written in a, in a, a very uh, important uh, phase of both my own life, and the, and the, the development of of Dragon Rouge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because um, we are in a process that started in 2012, uh, where the serpent, so to speak, uh, is changing skin. And uh, this song very much reflects uh, the beginning uh, of this process, both from my personal side and from uh, the perspective of uh, the Order Dragon Rouge.
2: Okay, that's great. Well, I'm happy also to hear you say what you were saying about music and the arts. I feel very much like you, and I have therefore on my website and on this podcast always introduced music on the website. It's arts, artists who are part of the occult world. And I think it's important to show that as well. And I couldn't agree more with what you say. And also, I get more and more by the reactions of the audience, but also by the people who I interview and speak to the impression how Deeply rooted arts and music are in the esoteric world actively, not just as listeners or viewers, but really as the art being the artist yourself.
3: Yeah, really. And Definitely. it has been all the history uh, uh, of the occult and esotericism. We go back to, to, to Pythagoras. His idea of mathematics and spirituality is that, that the existence and universe itself is music. We yes. uh, find it uh, in the philosopher Plato. We find it in the Renaissance philosophy. We find it throughout history. We find it in, in, in the modern period. Uh, almost say, uh, not all, but but most uh, composers, uh, no matter if it's uh, Debussy or or, uh, Eric Satie, Sibelius, uh, Mm -hmm. or or, uh, most famous, of course, uh, Mozart. everything is is created uh, with a relationship uh, to to, uh, uh, the fact that they were also practicing uh, uh, occultists
2: absolutely absolutely there would be so many topics i would like to talk to you still about well you're Possibly your main work, if, uh, if one could say that the Kabbalah Clifford and the Goetic Magic, about uh, other books, about astral travel, about the runes. But I'm afraid we are running a bit out of time, aren't we? <laughs> so maybe I can convince you one day to come back onto this podcast and we make a, a second run at some other point in, in a half a year or so. <laughs> would be great.
3: I would be happy to. It was a pleasure to be part of this podcast.
2: Great. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today, Thomas. And thank you for your time. Thank you for that deep and very interesting insight you gave us. Looking forward to hear and speak to you again. And in the name also of all our listeners, uh, thank you for your time and being with us.
3: Thank you very much. And all my best wishes to you and to all our uh,
2: listeners. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed just as much listening to Thomas as I had pleasure to interview him. Fascinating topics, fascinating man. And I really meant it when I said at the end that there would be so much to talk to him about – things like his books we didn't talk about at all, for example. And I would really hope that I can have Thomas back soon on this podcast to talk about runes, Kabbalah and all the other stuff he could share with us. Do subscribe to our newsletter on the website. This way you will be among the first to know when he will return to Thor's Hermes. For the time being. Please go to the website www.hermes.com and check out the show notes. There I will give you some links to Thomas' work, to other background information and material. Thomas is also rather prolific on Facebook if you're interested. Plenty to discover there. But all of you who would want to hear a bit more from Thomas and something very special, wait a few minutes. A little bit further into this podcast, he will return in another capacity. Stay aware, folks. I will tell you when it comes. I'm sure that the left-hand path is a subject that many listeners have a very particular interest in. So stay tuned with us – this podcast will certainly soon come up with other representatives of that form of the occult arts. And we might also have some roundtable about the background and emergence of the left-hand path in the future. Your suggestions for that are also appreciated. The News. You know, it's really fun to go out there and find out what happens in the world of the occult and what could be worth presenting to you and talk to you about. And that research teaches me an awful lot. But also there, do let me know if you find out about something noteworthy, something that could interest our listeners here. So I'm sure many of you listening to this episode are aware of the – well, I suppose you could already call it annual edition – of the International Left Hand Path Consortium. The 2017 edition took place about a month ago, at the end of April, in Ottawa, Canada. My great friend Greg Kaminsky, host of the wonderful Occult of Personality podcast, and myself, we had the pleasure to interview Helen Arts and Justin Dickey just before the event. And now I found out that the 2018 18 edition is already planned. St. Louis will host it. The event will start on Friday 13th of July 2018. At this point, committees are being put together and funds are raised. I had the pleasure to reach Lori Pneumaticos, one of the central figures of the Left Hand Pass Consortium, who is not acting as host in St. Louis, but she is very much involved in the creation of this event. Our Skype connection was not the best, but I'm sure you will anyway appreciate those few minutes with her, where she tells us about the upcoming event, what you can expect, and also how you could help. I would like to welcome on Thor's Hermes podcast, Laurie Numaticus. She is actually in Georgia, but we are talking today about the 2018 International Left Hand Pass Consortium, which will take place in St. Louis. So hi, Laurie, nice to speak to you
4: nice to speak to you too
2: tell us about that international left-hand pass consortium what is it and what are you planning in 2018
4: okay as you know we've done this before the mission has never changed from the very beginning. It began in Toronto. It was the International Left Hand Path Conference that Jeremy Crow uh, hosted in 2012. Then I hosted one in Indianapolis in 2014. And then I changed the name because various issues and I incorporated, so I changed the name to the International Left Hand Path Consortium and did another one in Atlanta. I have since then dissolved the corporation, decided to make it an open source type project. The mission statement is to bring people together from various philosophies and and spiritual paths in a spirit of cooperation and to encourage people to work together on various real world projects such as writers, musicians, artists, publishers. What we saw, what Jeremy and I saw years ago and and still is happening today is a lot of people in, um, in various occult Circles and genres seem to be having a little trouble getting along, (laughs) some of the various forums. And our vision was to see people come together and find common ground. And of course, this was born out of the Luciferian Research Society, which is a left hand path organization. And so, thus, the name Left Hand Path. However, all of us acknowledge that left-hand path, right-hand path is sort of a loosely based construct. It's just a way of labeling various religions. Uh, left-hand path religions tend to be more individualistic. We tend to look within for our spiritual guidance. Right-hand path religions tend to look outward for their spiritual fulfillment. They look for a God that's out of themselves. That being said, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that even though we are the left-hand path consortium, we have always welcomed right-hand path philosophies, uh, people who who adhere to right-hand path philosophies, to come and present their point of view. So we're very open-minded about that.
2: Oh, that's great. And that consortium in St. Louis will happen in July 2018, I think. Do you know the dates already?
4: Yes, July 13th, which is a Friday the 13th. And I I believe the new moon, uh, the last two that I did started on the new moon mm-hmm. so that what I was looking for was the new moon and and actually I'm not doing this one the people in St. Louis are doing it I'm on one of the committees mm-hmm. and they consulted with me but I, I can't take credit for this one because the people that host the pagan picnic actually are doing this and that would be Larry L.B. Brown Bill Duvendack And Carrie Wynn.
2: Yeah. Well, but you being at the source of all that, and you are also, as you just said on the committees, you're helping them to set it up. And I will also put Mm -hmm. on our website to the podcast a few links, which could be interesting to interested listeners because a, they find the dates and the developing program, which I gather you will keep being updated on that link. And secondly, I think you're also doing some crowdfunding in order to make that event possible, don't you?
4: Yes, we are. I started a crowdfunding campaign, and we're still in the process of setting all this up. So, we yes, we have a date, but we don't have a venue yet. We're looking at venues. And we're actually going to be setting up a reward system on the crowdfunding site as well. Mm-hmm. Carrie and I just talked about that this morning. And right now we're still in the committee forming stage. Carrie has gotten together some committees and and everybody's sort of bouncing off ideas off of each other right now. So little by little, if you keep checking back, you'll see that we will have a reward system set up. For instance, I contributed a couple of books, Lucifer, Light of the Aeon which was edited by Diane Narraway, who will be at the next consortium, by the way. Mm -hmm. She's an editor and publisher and writer in the UK. I plan on contributing some books to people who donate to the campaign, and we're talking to some of the other authors about donating books as well, signed Mm -hmm. copies as well.
2: Sounds great. Well, as you said, Check in back regularly on that site and those who are interested, contribute and go to St. Louis when the time's there. Laurie, Mm -hmm. thank you for all this. I'm sure we'll be in touch soon again. I will follow the development of that conference and keep the listeners posted on the website and also on this new section of my podcast. And I hope when things are closer in time that we will do maybe a proper presentation of what you're going to do at the consortium. Good luck with it and thank you.
4: Thank you very much. and Thanks for the interview and and look forward to talking to you soon.
2: This was Laurie Numaticos talking to us about next year's Left Hand Path Consortium. If you go to the news section of the Thorthermes website, you will find the necessary links and contacts to get all the information you need and also how you can support this event or even maybe help to organize it. Back to music. Before I will play to you the third piece today, some information on the band Serpent Noir. It was founded in 2006. They come from Piraeus, from Sweden and from the whole world. Of course a world different than what most of us understand. And I want to thank the Anti Flesh for that quote. They are real draconians, infused with and awakened by the power of this current. And as a critic put it, they represent the cult of black metal as it was meant to be. I've put a couple of links on the music page on the website, so please go and discover further. The coming piece by them is called Desert of Azazel and is from their album Erotomysticism released about two years ago. The special treat for us here today is this recording features lyrics and vocals by Thomas Carlson, so we can actually hear Thomas presenting his own text in this recording shows you what a wide variety of talents Thomas harbors. To add to your pleasure, you will also be able to find the lyrics on the music page of the website because, well, admittedly I had some trouble understanding everything while listening and I thought you would appreciate some help and it would be a pity to miss the words. So please, do not forget to check them out. Serpon Noir, Desert of Azazel, featuring Thomas Carlson. Serpon Noir's Desert of Azazazel, with the voice of Thomas Carlson, was the last featured piece for today. Now, as said earlier, I would like to introduce to you our featured visual artist for June and July, British painter Stuart Littlejohn. His art springs from a well of magic, mythology, and history, and it often appears as book covers, illustration, tarot decks, but of course also as standalone art. I really love his paintings, their vivid colors, their deep ideas, the unique style he represents. Stewart is influenced by many styles throughout the history of art has explored British mythology and fairy tradition, along with the whole range of the Western mysteries and early Egyptian influences and magic. He's also involved in the wonderful Quareya project, a free online magical training school we should also be talking about sometime soon. Go to the Thoth Hermes website and discover examples of Stuart's art. Of course, I also give you links there to his personal website, to the Quarea page and to other relevant information around his artwork. An artist really worth discovering. Please take the time to visit our virtual gallery and see Stuart Littlejohn's art. ...books and other reviews. You remember Alan Richardson? No. Well, in that case, after having finished listening to this episode, you should go quickly and download episode one. In fact, Alan was the charming guest on that very first episode of Thought Hermes. During that interview then... He announced that one of his novels would be republished soon. And this has now happened, and I present to you a review of that book. The Lightbearer by Alan Richardson. The Lightbearer is set in 1944 during the Allied invasion of Normandy. Its protagonist is Michael Horsett, a member of the 101st Airborne Division. He is parachuted into France, then occupied by the Nazis, just before D-Day in order to illuminate the dropping zone. What so far sounds like a historic novel turns out to be in fact occult fiction, a Gnostic thriller of first order. Gnostic thriller? Does that really exist? Well, you could ask yourself, but once you have read The Light Bearer, you will know it does. After having interviewed Alan a couple of months ago, this book clearly shows me that only somebody at the same town as down-to-earth and as highly knowledgeable and initiated into a cold world like he is could have written such a book. Alan uses his knowledge to set up riddles for the reader, anchors historical facts in magic surroundings. I'm personally very difficult when we talk about historical novels or even more so occult fiction, so this combination could have become really a tricky one for me. but. I enjoyed it from the first to the last page. Alan is such a great storyteller and always when other authors would probably drift away into the realms of the paranormal and otherworldly and get lost and entangled in implausible solutions and showdowns, Alan Richardson, he finds a way to bring us down to earth again with humor, wit life experience. Maybe it's not a custom to cite the author himself when you are trying to write a review, but I'm going to do it anyway in this case. In the few lines that follow, Alan talks about his book in such a way that shows you exactly what to expect. And as I urge you, dear listeners, to go and read that book. You should know what to expect. I wrote the first version of this 40 years ago. It attracted much attention, but never got published. Thank God. It was totally overwritten and shallow as a sheet of graphene. With whatever skills I've developed since, this version is the world's first kabbalistic, gnostic, tarotic thriller with vigorous trilingual sex, lots of heavy weaponry, a few wagons, a demon, drugs, magic, an obscure self-initiating Neater from Egypt which will haunt you, I'm serious, an internal challenge for the savvy reader and Elements of Who Done It. It's also a love story. Whether you're gay, straight, or non-binary, if I understand that worked correctly, there should be something here for all libidos and cat lovers. Alan Richardson, the Light Beer, published on May twelfth. You will find the links to the books, its publishers, and a written copy of this review in the review section on the Todd Hermes podcast. Okay, friends and listeners, this brings Episode 4 to an end. I do hope you found a few interesting things for you in it. Maybe you learned something Maybe you confirmed your existing opinions, or maybe you found out that you might have to reconsider a few of your existing viewpoints. Whatever, if it did open your mind, I would be very happy, and so I do hope you are going to join me for our next episode, which you can expect on June 15. At the end of this month, the Masonic world is going to celebrate a big anniversary, as many of you probably know. Therefore, this is going to be an episode with Masonic content, but not just another historic celebration. My interview partner in episode 5 is going to be The Voice, famous sports commentator and declared Freemason. Michael Schiavello. Wendy Rule can already be heard with her beautiful outro song in the background, Night Sea Journey. Do enjoy it by listening right to the end. And I am looking forward to welcome you again soon, to hear from you in the meantime, and As always, please share the news about Thor's Hermes to make our community increase even further. Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.